Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom! Once a year, Park Avenue Synagogue devotes one Shabbat this Shabbat to celebrate, affirm, and grow our relationship with UJA Federation, New York's umbrella Jewish social service agency. Given our shared commitment to strengthening local Jewish life, supporting the needs of those on the margins of the New York community, and strengthening our bonds with Israel and world Jewry, the Park Avenue Synagogue relationship with UJA Federation is long-standing, deep, and proud. All the more so this year as our past chairman, Amy Bressman, presently serves as UJA's board president. Thank you so much to our own Brett Barth and UJA's Ariella Goldfein for your remarks on this sacred work of UJA. I encourage everyone, be it time, talent, or treasure, to give generously towards supporting the mission of our critical communal organization. Given UJ's stated importance, it may be curious to you, if not downright odd, that I want to address the question of why support UJA by way of a conversation I had last Friday night with the journalist Barry Weiss, a dialogue which some of you, but perhaps not all of you, watched. Of the range of topics that Barry and I covered, I want to focus on our exchange regarding Barry's July 2020 decision to resign from the New York Times. I do not have a transcript of the evening, and now is not the time to go into the details. But the short version, as Barry herself described in her public letter of resignation, was that the hostile work environment of the Times was of such nature that she could no longer be party to it, be it concern for her personal well-being an inability of the paper of record to give voice to a diversity of views, a concern that by staying she was tacitly enabling an enterprise that she could not conscience, or perhaps some combination of all of the above. Better she decided to lose what is undoubtedly the best platform in all of journalism than to keep on keeping on and lose that which matters most, one's principles. Agree or disagree with Barry's politics, I encourage you to read everything she writes. I, for one, believe the world needs more people who speak, write, and act with the clarity, courage, and conviction with which Barry Weiss does. All that said, one week later, it's not the culture war at the New York Times upon which I want to focus. I have my opinions, and I'm sure you have yours. It's rather the practical leadership question to which I want to turn the question of conscience, the use of power, and the best tactics to effectuate change. To state it plainly, in the eventuality that a cause or institution of which we are part falls short of our hopes and expectations, is it better to be a change agent from within or to step outside of said institution and seek to make change from without? When the seas get rough, Shall we remain the ballast by which a ship is stabilized and hopefully rights its course? Or do we have both a moral and practical obligation to do just the opposite, 
to jump ship, to critique from the outside, to create an alternative, to do anything save to stay put. Where is the most effective place to effectuate change, from within or without? The question, of course, isn't just for Barry Weiss. We see it playing out wherever we turn. Democrats debating whether or not to remain loyal to party despite the ideological excesses of the far left. Republicans wondering whether they can in good conscience still remain Republicans. As one former Republican recently said, cleverly invoking President Reagan's famed party switch in the opposite direction, I didn't leave the Republican Party, the Republican Party left me. It was not lost on me that last night's Friday Night Dialogue occurred with the backdrop of the latest New York Times brouhaha, in this case concerning opinion writer Brett Stevens, who, despite his objections regarding his employer, despite the fact that his objecting op-ed was quashed by his own editors, appears, at least at this point, to be doing what Barry did not do, namely continuing to write under the New York Times masthead. It's a question which we all face at some point. We join organizations, we leave organizations, we give to them, we hold back our giving, we build synagogues, we build breakaway synagogues. As Jews, we even have jokes about it. The story of Shipwreck Goldstein, who, when saved after many years, is asked by his rescuers to explain the two structures he had built in his years as a castaway. Those are synagogues, Goldstein replies. But why two of them, Goldstein has asked? Well, one I daven in, and the other I wouldn't be caught dead in. Given that every synagogue, every institution, every newspaper, every everything inevitably contains imperfections, we are all faced with the question of where our presence is most impactful. Shall we break away, risking everything save our principles, or shall we work from within telling ourselves and others that as imperfect as it is, far better to stay put and work to see the change that we wish to see actualized. Unless you wonder where I'm heading with all this, you should know that it's these very alternatives that are the alternatives presented to us in the scroll of the season, the story of Esther that awaits this Thursday night when we celebrate Purim. Our first leadership model is Queen Vashti, chapter one. King Ahasuerus gives a feast for all his ministers and courtiers, extravagant in wealth, wine, and wantonness. Vashti is summoned to appear wearing a royal diadem. The reasons for Vashti's refusal to appear are never made explicit. We can only deduce that her heroism was born of unflinching adherence to principle. As Tennyson writes, O Vashti, noble Vashti, summon forth she kept her state. Vashti loses everything perhaps even her life, but she maintains her integrity. She exits a stage and story, but asserts womanly dignity for coming generations to recall. As a great women's suffragist, Elizabeth Cady Stanton would write, rising to the heights of self-consciousness and self-respect, Vashti takes her soul into her own keeping, and though her position as wife and queen are jeopardized, she is true to the divine aspirations of her nature. Our second leadership model is, of course, Queen Esther. If Vashti's exit from the royal court came by way of her unwillingness to reveal, Esther's arrival into the royal court 
comes by way of her willingness to conceal. It's actually the etymology of her name, the word Esther from the Hebrew root meaning to hide. Esther suppresses her Jewishness in order to gain access to the royal court. Ancient and modern commentators squirm over Esther for her willingness to remain hidden as a Jew, not to mention her willingness to be compliant with the patriarchy. And yet, in retrospect, wow, are we not all glad that she stayed put? Because when push came to shove and the hammer of Haman's evil designs were about to fall upon the Jews, it was Queen Esther who came out as a Jew, as a woman, and as her people's savior. The point isn't merely that Esther saved the Jews. The point is that Esther was only to save the Jews because she was positioned in the royal court. Contrary to Vashti, Esther's heroism came by way of her willingness to exist in a deeply imperfect context, to compromise and perhaps even be complicit in a system so that when it mattered most, she could assert her power for noble purposes. Vashti and Esther, two heroines, two exemplary women for women, for men, and for all of us. Two leadership ideals worthy of study, remembrance, and emulation. By the metric of how we dress our daughters on Purim, Esther clearly has the edge. By the metric of recent feminist literature, Vashti's stock is on the rise. In terms of application to our own lives, the question is a bit more complicated. Vashti gets the nod for her principled stance, her bold refusal, her virtue signaling. We cannot, as Audre Lorde wrote, dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. And yet, Vashti's story is a one-chapter story. She exits stage left, the news cycle continues. As a great scholar of our day, Dr. Erica Brown notes, Vashti didn't change court culture, she was its victim. In retrospect, Vashti's refusal is measured more as a statement of conscience than anything else. In thinking of Vashti, I'm reminded of de Gaulle's comment that the graveyards are full of indispensable men. It's not that Esther's choices are easy. The leveraging of her sexuality, the compromises she makes for all of Esther's heroism, the choices of her bedfellows are literally and figuratively problematic. Esther's legacy, deservedly celebrated as it is, is not without its complications. Ultimately, of course, the choice isn't either or. The Vashti-Esther leadership discussion is not so much a study of contrasts but a continuum upon which we all live. We need both models at different times and at all times, our Vashtis and our Esthers, our Barry Weisses and our Brett Stevens, our Abby Hoffmans and our Tom Haydens. There's a need for those who fight the good fight from the inside institutional life and those who throw rocks from the outside. A need for those who protest in the streets and those who run for political office. A need for those who make change from within and those who make change from without. Most importantly, there's a need to embrace the fact that in some chapters of our lives, we may exercise one muscle group and in other chapters, another. As for me, if you'll indulge in a bit of personal reflection, I suppose at the end of the day, I am mostly, but not entirely, a little bit more Esther than I am Vashti. I'm a believer in changing from within. I'm a, believe in the pow a believer in the power of organizational life. 
I'm a believer in sitting on boards and supporting political candidates and overhauling existing institutions rather than creating new ones. What is the vocation of a congregational rabbi, if not a career based on the belief that the Jewish aspirations of hundreds, if not thousands of Jews can be realized within the imperfections of a single institution? The trick, of course, and I work on this every day, is how to build an institutional culture sufficiently reflective and supple that critique can not only be housed, but leveraged to course correct the very shortcomings giving rise to that critique in the first place. All of which, in a very roundabout way, brings us back to UJA Federation. We live in a day and age where everyone wants to direct their philanthropic dollars to their own pet causes. We see the imperfections of our central agencies and we walk away, or if we are able, we go off and create new ones. There are urgent needs facing the New York community and the New York Jewish community. We have serious problems to solve and we need serious people to solve them. To support UJA Federation, is to support the belief that in the face of such urgent needs, there is power to centralize giving, that there is more we can do when we do it together. Are there imperfections in an agency so large? Of course there are. Does it mean that you give up control on the precise destination of every dollar you give? Yeah. Does the steamship of UJA turn as quickly as we all may like? Perhaps not. But is UJA Federation the most effective vehicle towards impacting local, national, and international Jewish and non-Jewish life? Categorically, yes. To support UJA is to adopt a posture of leadership worthy of the legacy of Esther. To support UJA is to support an institution capable of embracing and leveraging the voice of Vashti. It's why outside of this synagogue, the Cosgrove family's most significant philanthropic commitment is to UJA Federation. It is why Park Avenue Synagogue so proudly embraces the UJA mission. As in Esther's day, so too our own, a generation in need of relief and salvation, a time to support those efforts best positioned to provide swift deliverance, a time to lean in and to step up and join together towards healing this world in such desperate need of repair. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.